This is the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. That's Ryan Candy. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Let's do this. All right, let's start by talking about Cole Caulfield. We're going to be taking all your questions today. And of course, Cole Caulfield was the topic of a few questions, but we were going to focus on this one from Habs and Yankees guy who asked, how big of an impact has Cole Caulfield made on the Montreal Canadiens playoff run? It's been a pretty substantial impact. And for me, it's all about the chemistry that he is quickly developed with Nick Suzuki and how that has also spread to Tyler Toffoli and his great finishing ability. I think, you know, Caulfield gives the Habs a different dimension because offensively he's just so advanced for his age and and just sort of advanced in general, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smaller body, but he knows where to go. Uh, He's very opportunistic as, uh, as we've seen several times and, you know, something Ken Campbell's mentioned uh, quite a bit is that, you know, Caulfield came up as a sniper. He was that preternatural goal scorer that could find that puck-sized hole uh, between the goalie and the net and put it right there. But he's also a fantastic playmaker. And I think that speaks to his hockey sense and just, you know, simply his hands and how gifted he is. And that's what we've seen a lot of in these playoffs is Caulfield making those amazing passes that lead to crucial Montreal goals. And, you know, the Habs, obviously Carey Price has been crucial for them. The team defense, whether it be, you know, the actual blue liners uh, or guys like Philippe Deneau, who have been, you know, so good at that shutdown role, um, you know, that's sort of Montreal's bread and butter, but you do need to score goals. And, you know, Caulfield has been one of those drivers. So, I mean, fantastic for him and amazing to think he'll still be eligible for the Calder next year. Um, We're just seeing the beginning and it's, it's been really fun. Yeah. Cole Caulfield, like this was a guy that his whole focus was on hockey. And you mentioned Ken, when Ken talked to Cole Caulfield after he got drafted and kind of talked about his college plans and it was kind of like, it, college isn't his focus. His focus is making the NHL. His and it's been a really good thing. Uh, I said earlier today with Mike Stevens in the Hockey News Now that I did support the idea of sitting him in Game One uh, against the Leafs because that was one where and eventually Game Two uh, because I thought that he, this is a young kid. He made some mistakes right before the playoffs. Give him a chance to sit out, see what he's missing, and I think he's going to prove that he wants it and he deserves to be on the ice. And ever since, Montreal Canadiens have been a good spot. And, man, like, like he's not going to win the the, the Conn Smythe if, if the Canadians go all the way, but, man, he's been so important for this team. It's like like you mentioned, he's, he's making the guys around him better right now. Certainly. And, you know, what sort of – intriguing about this whole development of, you know, Suzuki Caulfield to Foley is, you know, you look at the Habs next year, for example, you know, we don't know what's going to happen the rest of these playoffs. Maybe they win the Stanley cup. Um, but, you know, you look at the future of Montreal and it was like, okay, well, eventually, eventually the, the offense will run through Caulfield and Suzuki, but it kind of seems like that time is already upon us, you know? And I mean, granted, they're going to have to have big off seasons, continue to get stronger, continue to hone their crafts. And, you know, other NHL teams are going to get a book on these guys. 
But you know what? I mean, you look at Suzuki's sort of polished two-way game that has, you know, elements of elite skill. And you look at Caulfield, whether it's the shot, the playmaking, the hockey sense, and it feels like they're kind of there already. And I think that's kind of exciting for Montreal where that will be your top line sooner than later. And, and then from there, things really kind of fall into place where, you know, if Deneau is your, your, your second liner, who's, you know, he's a shutdown guy, but he's, you know, still playing significant minutes. It's not a third line role, uh, even though that's kind of what it's built upon. You know, it gives more space for Jesperi Kotkiniemi. It, it really kind of all falls into place, you know, assuming everybody develops the way you, you assume they will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting to think about how quickly Caulfield and Suzuki have become important players in Montreal. Ken Dryden was the last Montreal Canadian to my knowledge to have won the Calder trophy. Just so you guys are aware that this next year could be a lot of fun to watch. Oh, I also wanted to make a really obscure joke. Yeah. Uh, last night when it's like, man, you, you see Suzuki and you see Caulfield and how excited they get over goals. And it's like, it reminded me of Denmark at the 2015 world juniors where it's like, every time they scored, it's like the greatest moment of their lives. And right. they would go out there and lose like eight, nothing. And they're like, after the game, like, yay, we're here. And it's like, <laughs> Love that energy. I love seeing that. And you only kind of get that in the youth of hockey. So, sure. fun. So, all right. Let's get into some other questions that are not about Cole Caulfield and Montreal Canadiens. Izitsu asked, who is one prospect that isn't getting a lot of attention right now that you think is going to turn out to be a solid player? Didn't say anything about being this year's draft or a currently drafted player. Yeah. So, I'm going to go with a currently drafted player. And that's Alex Vlasic, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks pick. You know, at Boston University this year, and, and obviously the NCAA, it wasn't a big schedule. But what I like about Vlasic is that, you know, he was kind of drafted as like a shutdown guy because he's six foot six, 200 pounds already, uh, very mobile. But his offensive game really kind of bloomed this season with the Terriers. He was a lot more involved in the rush, he would jump into plays. Um, you know, he would even sort of headman plays at times. And for me, what's crucial about that is, you know, you can be a really good junior or college player and maybe you're in a defensive role. But if, if you're not point, putting up points at that level, you're going to have a really hard time finding a role in the NHL because all of a sudden you're going to be competing with guys that, you know, maybe scored 80 points in junior or 50 points in the NCAA and, and they learn to play defense. Um, so you want to, you know, you want to be a guy that can do both because it just feels like you can't, you can't be a specialist at the lower levels and, and move on. It's, it seems like it's a lot trickier there. And, and so for Vlasic, I think he took that next step this year and, you know, in all the Boston university games I watched, he was really a driver for them. And I'm pretty excited to see what the future holds because you know, he's got that great frame and he's got all those great physical tools and, and he really seems to get it. So that's that's one player to, for me that, you know, I, I feel like I don't I, I'm like the only one that talks about Alex Vlasic right now or, or I'm the only one that's like thinking about him. I liked him when he got drafted, but I, I 
there were definitely people saying like, ah, how good of a prospect is he going to be? But like, like you said, like he's kind of really turned around. He's become a solid prospect and Blackhawks, you know, it's a good, good situation to have where you got all these good guys coming up and as, as defensemen, we did just get a question here about um, who the top 2025 NHL draft prospect is. I'm not even going to bother with that one. So uh, no, no answer for that one. Also uh, just tweeting about Cole Caulfield is really good for Twitter. Uh, I literally right, right before this podcast, started, I just tweeted Cole Caulfield, nothing else, just his name. It's doing okay on the numbers. All right. We have a lot of questions from guys named Brian, and we're going to start with Brian Collins. What's the funniest story about a prospect that you've ever heard that you can share? There's a lot that are pretty funny that probably are inappropriate for a podcast, but what would you say was the funniest that you can't share? Well, you know, I think back, and I will, I will protect the name of the innocent in this one. I will just say that it was a player that was drafted into the NHL. I think he probably played a little bit, uh, but he mainly played in Europe. And I was interviewing him back in the day. And all of a sudden, the phone line just sort of goes like quiet for a second. He goes, ah, oh, the dog stole my pizza right out of my hand. I was like, what? He's like, I, had a, I was trying to eat a slice of pizza and the dog just ate it right now. And that always just blew my mind that I was trying to picture like the scenario in which somebody is like holding a piece of pizza on the phone and, and a dog steals the piece right out of their hand. And he was like crestfallen. Um, so I always thought that was funny. Um, yeah, it's funny. I don't hear a lot of wacky prospect stories. Like you'll hear about guys that scouts are like, oh, that kid's dumb. Or like that kid's like, you know, the parents are a nightmare. But uh, in terms of like goofy stories, I don't know. I, I don't hear a lot. But I uh, I always think back to that interview. There was a dog in the pizza. The, that uh, the player I'll, I'll reveal it is a uh, Homer Simpson. Um, but uh, <laughs> there, there was a there was a story I heard about a prospect who, who was like an OHL draft prospect. But I guess when he was very young, he got really drunk. Well, young being high school, and apparently he got his head stuck in a toilet. Wow! <laughs> he needed a few of his teammates to get him out, but the problem is they were all drunk and they were like young and drunk, <laughs> so they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and they, were, they they took a while trying to get him out of the toilet, and it's a kind of odd story. Uh, the guy has not been drafted. I don't think we're going to hear much about it, but that was a, that was a good story. All right. Uh, we have two questions from Brian Kana. I, I'm sorry. I probably mispronounced your last name. Would you expect Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond to play in Detroit next year? I'm going to say yes on both. Uh, I'm, I'm more so confident in Sider simply because, you know, he's slightly older and, you know, I mean, he was the SHL defenseman of the year this season so that's that's pretty impressive and you look at Detroit's blue line right now it's so threadbare I mean they desperately need more insider and I feel he's ready so it's a perfect combination of you know we need you but you've already kind of earned it um so I think that's a great fit there with Raymond you know again the Red Wings don't have a lot of guys uh, maybe they don't have anybody with that um elite of an offensive skill set I will say, you know, Raymond has never played in North America. At least Sider spent some time in the AHL uh, before going back to uh, Europe this season. Raymond, I mean, if he has a great camp, then I say, yeah, do it. Because, I mean, he gives you a great opportunity uh, to, to create offense. And, you know, he's pretty good uh, defensively as well. He's a pretty good two-way responsible player. If he needed time in Grand Rapids in the AHL just to get used to 
the North American game, the rinks, the culture, things like that. I mean, I'm totally fine with that. You know, maybe he goes for the first half, you bring him up in the second half. If he has to stay there the whole season, that's cool. I mean, we're still talking about a very young man here. Um, so I, I think training camp is going to be crucial, uh, more so for Raymond than Siner. But, I mean, both of them could play as long as they, they earn their slots. And I'm going to just assume Brian is a Detroit Red Wings fan, but uh, do you see Theodore Niederbach becoming a legit NHLer? I would say that the jury's still out on that right now because Niederbach is, again, so young. I, I kind of had high expectations for him this year because I thought that they would play, Sweden would play him in sort of a top center role at the World Juniors. Uh, with Holtz and Raymond, the Terror Twins. And it did not start out that way. Um, and, and especially, you know, because Carl Henriksen uh, couldn't come to the World Juniors, I believe it was a COVID protocol. So it just seemed natural for Niederbach to step up into that role. And, and they didn't go that way until later in the tournament. And it didn't really work. I mean, Sweden, it was just a weird World Juniors for them overall. Um, I, you know, I, I still like the potential in Niederbach. And you know, his development curve is still on the ascent because um, he's a little bit of a late bloomer. He's kind of behind his development, but the tools are there. So I, I would say we still have to wait, but, I, you know, I think he can be kind of a middle six center, um, you know, at this point, if we're projecting, I think he still has that capability, but it's, it's going to take time. It's going to be like another three years at least, I would think. It's worth noting, Sweden just kind of had a brutal year internationally. Um, overall, True. Sweden, the world championship, didn't even make the quarterfinals. So just, just to kind of make it kind of clear how rough of a year it was for Sweden, which in the end, Sweden was in the weaker group So mm-hmm. in the world championship. So overall, not a remarkable year by any means for the Trey Connor. All right. Zach attack 28-28. Over under that Connor McMichael makes the Capitals roster out of training camp. Hmm. I don't know how to phrase that as an over-under. Yeah, it doesn't really work, does uh, it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, but I would say, you know, like like the odds are pretty good. Um, you know, an X factor is what happens with Evgeny Kuznetsov in the offseason because, it, you know, it seems like Washington is open to moving him. And then obviously if you lose one of your top centers – then a spot opens up and whether or not they play McMichael at center or they start him on the wing is, you know, obviously an X factor as well, but you know, I mean, he led the Hershey bears in scoring this year as a teenager. That's pretty incredible. Um, You know, he's coming from a great London Knights program. So he's got all the fundamentals, you know, he's been in a pro style, you know, setting already. And then of course with Hershey, he's been in a real pro setting um, so I, I think, you know, the odds are pretty good. You know, the Capitals, like, like I say, there's the Kuznetsov X factor. There's also, you know, like, who do they lose in the expansion draft? We don't know that either. Um, and Washington doesn't have a deep prospect pool right now. McMichael is, you know, he's, he's the jewel. So I, I think odds are, you know, better than not. Assuming he has a good training camp, then, you know, he's, he's got the skill set. I think he's got the maturity to do it. All right. Mason Jernoff asks, where's your favorite junior hockey say to see a game? Uh, given we just talked about McMichael, I'm going to say London. I think London's an awesome place to watch a hockey game, but uh, what's yours? All right. Just to be fair to this 
all CHL leagues. I'm going to pick one from each league uh, because I, I have had the pleasure of seeing games in all three. Although obviously I've seen a lot more in the OHL than the other two. Um, so starting at West, I'm going to go with Portland because Portland is one of my favorite cities uh, in the U S and the arena is like really easy to get to. And uh, you know, the, ironically the game I saw was right before the winter Hawks got good. So when I saw them, they were like terrible. Um, but having said that, now they are, you know, this well-oiled machine. And uh, yeah, it's a it's like a good rink, and I love the city. So I'll say Portland for for out west. Um, for the OHL, I'm gonna say Kitchener hmm. because to me, it's a very traditional junior market, and. You know, it's sort of like it's the team that's owned by the community. I also like the the uniqueness uh, where, you know, Kitchener has like the the German influence, uh, you know, like, like Kitchener Waterloo is where they have Oktoberfest in Ontario. So you get sick beer nuts uh, at <laughs> Kitchener games. They are worth the price. Um, and the arena itself is pretty nice. You know, they added um, seats recently. They did a big renovation trying to, you know, grab a Memorial Cup. Um, so I really like Kitchener and then in the queue, I'm going to say Quebec, uh, like Quebec city, because that new rink is astonishing. Uh, you know, it's fantastic. I, you know, I had a chance to see, um, I think it was the top prospects game. I was there or yeah, it was the top prospects game and it's an amazing arena and Quebec city is, is such a cool city to be in just in general. And then runner up would be Gatineau. Uh, although I know they're getting a, they're going to be in a new rink now, but the old barn was so much fun to go to. And there's a wicked St. Hubert down the street. So those are my choices. Yeah. I want to give a couple special shouts to two junior A rinks. One being the one in Buffalo where uh, right beside the Buffalo Sabres rink. Um, that's a really good one there. It's they, they used it for the world juniors. And then also the St. Mike's college arena. That place is ancient looking. looks like it's going to fall down every time you walk in. Um, but the glass is really low, which is really nice for photography from the crowd. And it still feels like what you would expect a junior hockey ring to be like. There's a couple fans there that are very, very obsessed with hockey there and make for a fun time every time you go. So uh, I'll say uh, those two rinks give a couple shout outs to them. Next question is from smelly garbage. Don't know if that's their actual name. And I'm just assuming they're a hardcore punk band from like the nineties. Um, Possibly. Do you think fans overvalue the worth of a first round draft pick without explanation? I say yes, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm going to say it depends on how high in the first round we're talking, because I do think there's a common misconception about what a first rounder is when you get into the latter stages of uh, the picks. If you talk to NHL scouts, they don't have a top 30 uh, necessarily. They, they, have, they tend to have tiers. And one of the most important tiers is 20 to 40. And it's basically saying, like, look, you know, once you get to that point, there's going to be a lot of players that are around the same. You're going to have one preference. My team's going to have another. You know, you might have a guy at 20 that we have at 39. Uh, but it's it's all basically the same grouping. So I, I would say in that respect, you know, fans can say like, oh, I can't believe, you know, this guy was a first rounder um, and he's not producing right away when he went like 28th. Or they'll say like, oh, what a steal in the second round. We got this guy at 35th. It's like, OK, well, I mean, he could have been a first rounder. You know, it's just 
you got to cut, you got to cut the Friday night off at some point. And the difference between, you know, the first pick in the second round and the last pick in the first round is simply that one of them got to sleep a lot better that night. And the other one was like nervous, you know, for what Saturday would bring. And now having said that, if you're talking about a top five, top 10 pick, I mean, those are the guys that you build your franchises around. And, and yeah, you can find gems later on. And that's where scouts, you know, sort of really earn their bones. But, you know, I, I think that there's a certain expectation when you take somebody that high. And if your team misses, then, yeah, you got to you got to ask some questions because you don't get that many opportunities to get you know what could possibly be a franchise player or at least you know a top line player a top pairing defenseman uh for essentially for free uh so it really is important to hit on those early picks i will make a counter argument on you saying being able to sleep better if you're drafted on the friday Uh, i don't know i think you're partying on (laughs) i think you're enjoying you're you're living it up uh, your mind is racing as opposed to the next person who's probably just exhausted from having to wait all day just to find out they weren't lucky. I guess yeah. really Once you way. get to sleep, you sleep well. Yes, yeah. there's there, there's the caveat there. Once you get to sleep, you sleep well. Then you sleep in the next day until they, they yes. want you for interviews at 7 in the morning. Whatever yeah, exactly. All right. Bobby and Michael asked, who is one prospect you thought was going to make it big that didn't? Preferably not a first overall pick. Because saying like Yakupov's kind of boring. Right, right. You know, I always kind of go back to Kirill Kabanov uh, because he was such a great personality and, you know, he had the size, he had the skill, uh, you know, he just, he just didn't have the, the head for the game. Um, you know, he was, he was a fun kid to talk to. He always had great stories and he was really personable, but he just had a hard time fitting into sort of that button down hockey culture and it, and it didn't come out. And I noticed, I, I looked him up on, uh, online before we did this, and his last season, uh, he was in Denmark. And it reminded me of something uh, that a scout told me this year about a player who will most likely go in the first round, but there are some questions about his, uh, his maturity. And the scout said, in five years, this kid's either going to be in the NHL or in Norway. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was hilariously cutting. And I'm now uh, super fascinated to see which way it goes. Uh, and again, I'm not going to say who it is because they are teenagers and they need time to figure things out. But uh, I thought that was a pretty funny comment. And I, that's, that's essentially what happened to Kirill Kabanov. Is, uh, instead of the NHL, he kind of bounced around Europe. And uh, we are all poorer for it in the, in the uh, hockey media world. But that's how it goes sometimes. I have two picks, and they were from the same draft, the 2013 draft. I thought that Curtis Lazar's goal-scoring exploits would have really kind of translated over well. Uh, I thought this was a guy like, yeah, he wasn't putting up like massive numbers by any means uh, in junior, but he knew how to score. And we saw him play a really good World Junior Tournament. It's like, okay, this guy's going to be something. And now one of the biggest things was that he was like a throwaway pick in the Taylor Hall trade. Like it's, it's unfortunately not exactly uh, the, oh, and he ate hamburgers on the ice uh, a couple years ago uh, as a youngster in Ottawa. And then the other being Zach Fucoli, I kind of just really was pulling for him uh, knowing yeah, that the storyline at the time was like, yeah, he played on a team that could just scored a million goals. It didn't really matter what he did, but it's like, I kind of wanted him to prove people wrong. And unfortunately he didn't, but I will say this. If, 
the NHLers do not go to the next Olympics, look for Zach Fucali. I know Hockey Canada loves him. We've seen him play at the there World Junior go. level, obviously, and he's been like their go-to guy at the Spangler Cup for a couple of years. So I would not be shocked if he's the goalie for Canada, assuming they do not go to the Olympics. But let's just hope that happens. I would like to see the best players there once again. All right, Canuckleland asks, you're probably going to guess what team they are chief for. Uh, would yep. you rather have Vasily Podkolzin or Cole Perfetti long-term? Mm. Okay, so this pains me because Podkolzin is one of my favorite Russian sons. Um, but if I'm going long-term, I'm going to say Cole Perfetti right now simply because if Cole Perfetti turns out the way we think he could, he could be like a 35-goal scorer in the NHL. Um, Pod Colson, I think he's going to be more of that guy where, you know, maybe he can get you 25, maybe he can get you sort of 55 points, but he contributes all over the ice and, you know, he's a physical presence and you can play him on the penalty kill and he can play on a scoring line and, uh, and, and, you know, and be a contributor. Uh, but if we're talking long-term potential, I think Perfetti's ceiling is higher. Now, which one will turn out to be better? That's the fun of watching for the next five years. Um, but I think, you know, Perfetti's goal scoring potential uh, is higher. And for that reason, I, I would say him. But I love Vasily Podkolzin and clearly Knucklehead is a Vancouver fan. So do not be crestfallen. I'm certainly rooting for him, uh, maybe even to play for Vancouver this season. Well, next season, we are still on this season, but you know what I mean. All right. Chernley Townsend, is Florida going to play Denisenko in their top six next year? That's a big jump for him, I'd say. It's a big jump, and, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, you know, because Florida has a pretty good top six already. But I would also say that, you know, we need to rethink the turn top six because, you know, a lot of successful teams now basically have a top nine. Um, and I think that's probably the reality in Florida where, you know, assuming that Verhage continues to play like he did this year and assuming Duclair is in that top six mix. And then of course you got Huberdeau. Um, and then of course you've got Owen Tippett to consider and, you know, Patrick Hornfist is still there. You just don't have enough spots in on the top two lines for that, for any more wingers. Um, but if you have Denisenko giving you offense from the third line, that makes you that much harder to stop uh, if you're playing against Florida. So, I mean, I think he has the potential to do so, but he's, he kind of has to wait his turn at this point. Uh, and I would sort of suggest that, you know, just watch him play in the third line, let him get his, you know, let him get his bearings. He's got some NHL experience now, which is great. Um, but like, let's see him for a full 82 game campaign and, and see what happens to Florida in the off season, uh, before we sort of make a judgment on whether or not he will crack that top six. Cause it, it might just not be available to him. All right. And our final question, this has been a very quick episode, I'd say, but it's because it's just only questions this week. There's no real topics. Otherwise Haley Summersville asks. Adam Fantilli staying Chicago for next year. Just how good of a player are we talking about here? Well, it's funny because I spoke with Fantilli last week and, uh, and wrote a blog about him. There also is going to be a piece on him in the upcoming champions issue. Uh, so get that print edition when it comes out. Um, 
He's really good. I mean, he was the Clark Cup MVP for the Chicago Steel, uh, winning the USHL championship. You know, they played a very good Fargo team, like an older, experienced, heavy Fargo team, and they still beat them, uh, you know, three out of four games, if I'm not mistaken. And Fantilli, eight goals in eight games, you know, nine points overall. You're talking about a kid who is already six foot two, 190 pounds, skates like the wind, and has great hands. And he is still a couple of years away from the draft. He's 2023 eligible. So he's in the same draft class as Connor Bedard and Matthew Mitchkoff. And obviously with Bedard and Mitchkoff, we talked about them so much because of how good they were at the World Under 18s. I mean, those two kids dominated. Um, but I mean, Fantilli, I, I just, I want to say to people, like, don't sleep on Adam Fantilli. Like, he's really, really good. I was thinking about it, you know, before the podcast, it's like, could he be like the next Nathan McKinnon? You know, like you look at his frame, you look at his speed and, you know, the, the offensive upside. I mean, he's got all those tools and he still has so much more time to develop. You know, we're, we're just seeing the beginning. So for me, you know, it's a sick top three for 2023, just like, you know, uh, for 2022, you've got Shane Wright, you got Brad Lambert, you got Matt Savoy, and you got a lot of good players behind them. Um, 2023 is probably, you know, slightly better, um, than 2022 right now, even though those kids are younger. Um, but I would just say, you know, like, don't forget about Adam Fantilli. Everybody talked about Bedard and Mishkoff, but if you're the MVP of the USHL playoffs, you know, at that age, that's, that's significant because this year in particular, you had kids that couldn't play in the NCAA because their seasons were canceled. So they came back. You had kids from the BCHL that jumped over, kids from the WHL that jumped over, you know, kids that would have left for the NCAA that just stayed behind. I mean, it was a stacked USHL. And Adam Fantilli still thrived in the most crucial games for the Chicago Steel. So I'm a huge fan, always have been. And I would just say, make sure that you keep him in mind when you're talking about Bedard Mitchkoff because he's right up there. Yep, I'm looking forward to that. It's it seems like a long time ago that we kind of first heard of him in the Ontario scene, and obviously when you look at Shane Wright at the minor midget level a couple of years ago, he was the one who was the real dominant player. But Adam Fantilli is younger, same birth year, but younger month wise, and uh, yeah. was just well, I shouldn't say just as good, but he was just as important to his own team. And it was really cool to see those two players play in the OHL Cup final. Don Mills ended up beating the Toronto Red Wings. Fantilli then moved to Toronto Junior Canadians, only played a handful of games before he went to the States, and that's where he's been ever since. So two players that are awesome, but Adam Fantilli, 2023 draft, and obviously with uh, Bedard and Michkoff, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. All right, that's all the questions. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you listen to it or you watch it, make sure to check out thehockeyuse.com for all our prospect, playoff, and other news around the hockey world, and we'll see you next time.